podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Today's guest on Too Many Podcasts is Kennedy Phillips. He's known for his sound design skills and is also a voiceover actor. Wait just a minute. Are you telling me that voiceover actors can do what we do and get paid for it? Henry, you know that we get paid for what we do. That's true. Plus, I never knew that Bitcoin tasted so chocolatey and delicious. I know. It's just as good as our exclusive health plan. Two band-aids and a rectal thermometer. I'm almost embarrassed to brag about it. Wait, you said rectal thermometer? I think I need to make a phone call. Attention, rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, any similarities to podcasts that are actually funny is likely a violation of the laws of physics. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. And it is I, your tour leader for the day, Jim, the podcast Sherpa, welcoming you to the show. And you know what? I bet you watch a lot of movies, a lot of TV, maybe, you know, we're all stuck inside lots of times and that's all you got to do, right? If you're not listening to some music, maybe some movies, maybe some TVs, you know, when you're watching all this stuff, you're probably focusing maybe on the dialogue, on the actress faces, on the special effects. You don't really give a lot of thought to the sounds in the background, but that is actually a very important part of the production of movies and TV. And that's what I get to talk to with my guest today. Who's our guest today, Sherpa? His name is Kennedy Phillips. He is a sound designer, sound engineer, video guy, and voiceover actor. And he's done lots of work. And I really learned a lot about the sounds that you hear or the ones that you're not really paying attention to in the movies and how important they are. I had a blast with Kennedy. He's got a ton of great character voices to do. In his speaking voice, he kind of reminds me of a guy who could probably do a great impression of either John Lithgow or Kelsey Grammer. But you'll hear that in the first few minutes of our conversation, especially when he makes his voice deeper. But have a listen to my conversation with Kennedy Phillips. The Rebels, we are here in the studio room of the Sherpa Chalet. And my guest today does all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff, as well as being a voice actor. We're going to kind of get to know him and hear of his accomplishments and some of the projects that he's got working on, and a lot of them sound like a lot of fun. His name is Kennedy Phillips, coming to us from L.A., as they say. <laughs> Kennedy, welcome to the show. 
It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Now, you seem to be involved with a lot more behind-the-scenes stuff than than acting. I know I, sometimes I, I'll talk to voiceover actors who do some acting. Did you ever go in front of the camera, or do you always kind of like what was going on behind the scenes? Well, uh, I, I am not uh, I am not averse to being in front of a camera at any given time, but usually when it comes to my skill set, I am a lot more valued behind the camera, uh, as I'm mostly known for banging pots together for money. Uh, that is sound design. Uh, oftentimes in a, in a film production, uh, they'll, they'll have everything recorded, but a lot of the recording is focused on the dialogue and making sure that, you know, everybody knows what everyone's saying. So it'll be my job to come in and fill in the blanks of things you expect to hear in a movie. Uh, this can be anything from like footsteps to gunfire to clothing rustle, mm -hmm. uh, to more creative things like uh, laser cannons or spaceships or flatulent cows, which can be up to interpretation because they might not sound the way that you think they do in real life. <laughs> I've never actually experimented with the actual sound of a flatulent cow, but I guess it's probably, uh, <laughs> I'd probably be for a rude, rude awakening then. Yeah, uh, for the most part, though, uh, a lot of the, set, the the work that I've been doing for a while has been on like very high concept uh, productions. Um, mm -hmm. I started off doing uh, sound design for smaller things like uh, uh, DreamWorks TV's Draw My Dream series, which we got a bunch of kids together, uh, asked them about dreams that they had, had a uh, artist draw out all of the, the descriptions that they would make, and I would edit together uh, the whole video and, and sound design it. And then we put it on YouTube and tons of kids seem to really enjoy it. And didn't you also work for the Henson studio as well? Yes. Uh, I actually worked alongside the uh, Jim Henson studio for uh, a short film or two uh, about puppets. Um, they're no nothing so uh, glamorous as the, uh, the Muppets themselves, but the Jim Henson company provides a, very generous support program for up and coming puppeteers who want to make their own stories and tell their own tales uh, using uh, puppets of all kinds. Uh, the one that I got to work on was uh, Amaterasu, which was a mythological tale of a, uh, of a Japanese sun goddess as told through scrap metal puppets. And I got to be the lead sound designer on that and uh, the expression of these creatures that I was able to build was a lot of fun. So what first got you into all of this? Well, the journey began when I was about four years old and my mother came to me and says, child, what do you wish to provide upon this planet for your function? And I looked at the television and said, I want to do that. And she looks at the television and saw Jim Henson's Muppet Babies, where Kermit the Frog was saying he wanted to be a taxi driver. She looks back at me and says, child, I believe you are in error. Perhaps you can give another thing that you could do. And a flash card came up for Nickelodeon and says, mother, I desire to work in cartoons. For you see, back in the 90s, us children were articulate like that. Was, uh, in contrast to today's time. But uh, I, I bottom line was I wanted to work in cartoons and, and shows and films and stuff. So I, I started 
working towards that goal. Like when I was really young, like as young as like seven or eight years old, I got my hands on a camera and I started making skits and, and shorts uh, using this, this crummy little high eight camera that I had pieced together with a VCR. And I, I, I made a bunch of really terrible shows, but I also, I also practiced writing and I practiced storytelling. And if there was one thing that I was always good at was storytelling. I really enjoyed being able to entertain people and give them the opportunity to uh, get a glimpse into my own weird perspective on life as, as much as a, a guy like me would. So when the opportunity came up to go into high school to, to pursue like television production, I jumped at the chance despite the fact that I was bullied mercilessly for it. <laughs> <laughs> Went to college for it, went to grad school for it, and uh, I have been focusing exclusively on that, that big lofty goal of being able to create my own animated series one day. But I found that audio dramas were something I was really skilled at. Because uh, when I was in college, I, I just had a microphone and lots of free time. So I would practice by voice acting uh, in like a little crummy microphone on my laptop, uh, with a, a single track editing software and I would make, I made a series that has been lost to the annals of history because I'm way too embarrassed to share it with people. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I found a liking to it and I, I've been working on audio dramas ever since as sort of like a springboard to eventually get up to the, the animation thing. Sure. Because the, the workflow for the audio side of that is not considerably different in animation. I, I imagine, I guess, with the onset of the popularity of podcasts and the audio dramas that they, you get through there, that probably opens up a door for you as well. When I was uh, working towards my master's degree at Chapman University, I had the pleasure of meeting a a, a legendary guru in audio, modern audio dramas. And that was uh, Casey Wayland, who was one of the, one of the instructors at the school. Uh, he was doing We're Alive, which is uh, the most popular zombie survival podcast in existence. Like it is, it is on par with uh, The Walking Dead in audio drama form. There's like millions of downloads. This guy is incredibly skilled in what, he's do, what, he, what he does. And he's been making these since 2008. So uh, when I wanted to make my own show, I approached him and I said, I, I want to make an audio dramas. And he said, oh, I'm going to need to see that script. <laughs> and he gave me a lot of really good advice and a lot of really good suggestions to get people excited on the venture, the venture of doing an audio drama. And thanks to his efforts and, and his advice, uh, I was able to get nominated for uh, best, audio, uh, best Original Work by the uh, Audio Publishers Association back in 2018 when I first released Magus Elgar. You want to talk a little bit about Magus Elgar? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Magus Elgar is a fantasy comedy inspired by the works of uh, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams, uh, who you might know for uh, Discworld, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and probably most recently, uh, Good Omens, which Neil Gaiman helped, uh, 
helped produce for, for television. Magus Elgar is about two magic casters and two scientists who go on an adventure to fix magical anomalies they accidentally caused. Uh, trying to find a way to fix these scientific tools augmented with magical power, or stamps for short, uh, before all of reality rips apart, or at least before people find out it was their fault. Together, they form the illustrious uh, Magic Anomaly Interdimensional Locators, or Mail. <laughs> uh, it's about 11 episodes. Uh, we, we have uh, a lot of, uh, we have a full cast of, care, uh, of, uh, of voice actors working on it. Um, William Violinus plays our lead, uh, Magus Elgar. We have other names such as uh, Kellen Goff and Brian Stavali. Uh, you might actually know Kellum Goff if you watch a lot of anime because he is the he was the main villain in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part Five recently, and he's also the voice of Overhaul in My Hero Academia. And you might know uh, Brian Stavali from some other stuff. He he normally ends up playing as like Batman and Venom in a couple of uh, a couple of productions. Uh, they're all like fantastically talented people, and it was wonderful to get to work with them. But you can actually listen to Magus Elgar absolutely for free if you go to MagusElgar.com. Uh, we have all the episodes available. They're available wherever audiobooks are sold, wherever pods are cast. If you prefer a podcatcher or, or whatever, we're available on there. We're available everywhere. One thing that I've always wondered about, like people who work in the sound field, sound design and Foley and stuff like that, when do you watch movies and listen to music a little bit differently than most people because you probably oh, yeah. got very. Oh, absolutely. Uh, something, something that I end up doing a lot is play is I love playing this little game of, is it stock? Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a thing that happens when you'll hear a lot of sound effects that are kind of tried and true sound effects that you hear dozens of times. The most recognizable one is the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of that one. I do. It's the, the, the screen that's been put into like hundreds of, thou, uh, of thousands of movies just as like a running gag. Now, that's not the only screen sound effect that you could hear that is, a tip, that is typical in those stock sounds. It's the one that you hear the most. Uh, there are some movies that I watch where I will be really engrossed into the experience and then I'll hear a stock sound and it just, it just pulls me out of it. Uh, a case in point is, uh, have you ever seen a movie called The Babadook? No. The Babadook is an Australian horror film about a mother who is dealing with uh, the loss of her husband and the responsibility of a, and dealing with the responsibility of a very disruptive, difficult child. And this manifests in the form of a monster called The Babadook which is this really creepy looking black monster with a top hat um, that's portrayed in like this children's book. Okay. And this whole film is so tense and so well-paced, so very, very harrowing. And then you get to the point where you finally get to see the Babadook himself. And he's deeply, he's really creepy. You barely see him in the shadows. You feel the, the hackles in the back of your neck start to stand up. And then he makes noise and it sounds like a pterodactyl. <laughs> and you're like, I've heard that pterodactyl sound in hundreds of other shows, mostly really cheesy cartoons. I am no longer afraid of this thing. <laughs> 
But the, the, there's other examples on the on the other end of the scale where the the design is so well thought out and so uh, impactful that you you just remember it from that point on. Like you you think of like the the typical ones like the lightsaber, the the sound of a Tie Fighter flying across the screen, the sound of a transporter from Star Trek. Uh, heck, the sound of Mario jumping for in in uh, Super Mario Brothers. Like there's sounds that are iconic and recognizable, but the ones that I love are the ones that like leave an impact. Where you're like, oh, it's so good to hear that sound. It's so <laughs> fun to listen to. Um, one example that I think that I usually reference is: Have you ever seen a movie called The Expendables? That was the one with Sylvester Stallone and yeah, all all the, all the action movies ever. Yeah. <laughs> In the first Expendables, there is a weapon that Terry Crews is carrying around, which is this auto shotgun. And the moment this thing opens up, it is the sexiest sounding firearm I have ever heard. <laughs> it is a sound you listen to and you're like, oh, that, that gun is going to clear rooms and it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I loved every time it, you you hear it coming down the the the, the alley of him just going. It sounds so good, and it just goes to show that like really good sound design leaves a very lasting impact beyond just uh, beyond just the what you're seeing on screen. Um, this actually can be especially true in animation. I, I, it actually reminds me of a, a cartoon that I watched recently by Jendi Tarkovsky. Uh, you might know him as the guy who did uh, Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack, and most recently Hotel Transylvania. Okay. He made a series called Primal, which is, if you have not seen it, I highly recommend you give it a shot. It is a, it is a cartoon about a caveman and a Tyrannosaurus Rex who befriend each other to survive a punishing and uncompromising uh, prehistoric era. It may sound silly at first, but what's really interesting is that it, it is a drama. It's a very like pulse-pounding, very uncomfortable drama about the, the, the gritty, visceral uh, realism of survival. What I love about this show is that there's no dialogue in it. There's all of the language and all the communication is done non-verbally through uh, grunts or like through uh, facial expressions and, and body language. And there's never a point where you feel at a loss of what's going on. And one of my favorite episodes is, I think it's called The Night Feeder. Yeah, The Night Feeder. Night Feeder is an episode where this monster is hunting uh, Fang and Claw. Or sorry, uh, it was, it's uh, Fang and Spear. That's, that's the two names. The Caveman Spear, the T-Rex's Fang. They're being hunted by this creature in the dark, but they don't see it. All they, all they know about it is that when this thing is feeding, it is the most upsetting and horrifying sounds that you've ever heard. And they, they never see this thing. As they were trying to escape it and try to outrun it, they're getting more tired. They're having to, to camp and they can hear this thing rapidly approaching them. And every time it attacks something, it is deeply upsetting. And all the, all the, all the animation does is hold on their expressions as they're listening to this thing rend animals apart, and tearing them to ribbons. And when you finally catch a glimpse of it, it's only for like brief flashes. 
but the sound design of this creature is so much more impactful than actually seeing it. Because a lot of what the storytelling is doing is making you build up what this thing looks like in your head. And what you don't know about the creature, namely its appearance, lends it to be a lot more terrifying. When you're describing that, it's bringing to mind like when you see scenes from the movie Jaws or Jurassic Park and, you know, like the kids in the water and you hear the gasping. The <laughs> and the dun, or dun, even dun, just dun, the, the, the deep rumbling of the footsteps where you don't see this thing, but you, you can feel it. The, the sound is so prevalent. You can feel it when it like when it rumbles. Right. And even uh, the scene in the Jurassic Park where you just see the, the water dropping in the glass and you know that there's, there's something approaching because it's just getting so ominous, you know, but and it's just for a simple sound that, you know, people hear all the time, just, just water dripping. It's, it's really, it's really great when you get the opportunity to like, just take a moment to sit down and listen to what, what a show is doing with its sound design. And it's, it's something that a lot of shows and movies kind of treat as like an afterthought. But some of the best productions that you've, you've ever listened to have like a very iconic sound effect or sound design or ambience within the universe that you can, you can recall as part of what you, uh, think about when you think about that show. Like, for example, um, The Matrix. Like, everybody's seen The Matrix. But you, you, you don't think about sound design as much in that show, in that movie, because it's like, oh, well, everybody remembers like the photograph, uh, the photo slow motion effects and stuff. But whenever someone plays the sound of the, like ever when it slows down, you remember that sound. You even remember the sound of them taking like the big, like a uh, data plug and like kind of sticking into the back of their head. It's not something that you're thinking about, but you know what that sounds like. Sure. Off the top of your head, don't you? Very true. He's nodding if you can't hear that. <laughs> I, I tend to make a little noise when I nod, though. You know, there's not much in here. So. <laughs> the rattling will, will come out in the final mix. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about uh, Clutch, the, the, the Cobalt yes. story? After I made Mega Selgar, I was feeling really confident about some of the stories that I wanted to tell. And I wanted to make a season two of the production. But there is one small problem with that, and that is I, 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 am, not, I am not wealthy. I, I do not have the money for that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I, I paid for Megas Elgar out of my own pocket, and it was expansive, and I did not have the capital to try and continue moving forward with that. So uh, I was going to have to ask for a lot of money for a season two for Megas Elgar, and I didn't think that I was ready to do that just yet. So... I came up with an idea for a smaller show that was a lot less intense and a lot more compact. And it was something that you didn't have to watch an entire season of another show to get into it. Uh, Enter Clutch, a Cobalt story. In the world of Magus Elgar, there was a time where there were dragons, where dragons were the main form of magic in the world. And at some point in dragon history, they decided to leave Hearth. Now, for reasons, uh, for reasons that have been left to a mystery as of this recording. Uh, but during the Age of Dragons, there were these little critters uh, called kobolds who worshipped them and cared for them. 
A kobold is about three and a half feet tall. They're not very smart. They don't really have a great sense of self-preservation. And they're very dopey. <laughs> they're very silly. They're very stupid. They're, they, they just love life and love taking care of the dragon, even if the dragon finds them honestly kind of annoying. Clutch a kobold story is about three kobolds who go on an adventure to find a new dragon master after they accidentally killed their old one. Uh, our, our main three is Strap, the trap maker, uh, who uh, apparently is the one responsible for the demise of their uh, dragon master, the benevolent Gaujinvor, the Crimson. Uh, there's Nom the Helther, who is a healer in so much that she drinks a lot of healing potions, convinced that they will grant her immortality one day. And Book the Booker, who is a kobold that can read and wants to share his favorite books with you. Uh, the show plans to be about six episodes long, but about a half hour in length. So about three hours of, uh, of content. And we aim it to be on the same level of high-quality production as Magus Eldar. In fact, it'll take place in the same universe, just way back in the past. Um, I'll be writing it, as well as uh, two other writers from Magus Eldar, to make a really enjoyable production. And it's going to be designed for uh, people of all ages. So if you've got kids that want a, a screen-free form of entertainment, can't go wrong with an audio drama. Especially not with Magus Elgar, which is also a, a family-friendly production. You know, I want to talk a little bit about your voiceover work as well. Now, I know you've done all sorts of things for uh, different types of productions. Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of uh, different voice work. Mostly where my voice work started was my own productions. But as time went on, I started doing a lot of voices for uh, my sound design. There's a lot of times where people will be screaming or yelling or making sounds of exertion, and I got really good at doing that. So a lot of times uh, in a production that I sound design, you might hear my voice sneak in once or twice. Uh, I also provide uh, the voice of the great Phantomer in Megas Elgar, as well as the voice of Kike, which is this horrifying little reptilian abomination called a replica. <laughs> And I also play as Megas Sagari, who is a very well-spoken Lacertus who lives on top of a tower that's held aloft by a dead space whale due to an action that is not entirely my fault, I, I need to point out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also provide uh, the voice of uh, a the vampire king in the audio drama The Call of the Flame. Uh, and I recently got to play a special guest star as the villain uh, uh, Captain Richard Sedgwick uh, in uh, The Sojourn, which is an audio a sci-fi audio drama that I sound design. <laughs> Could you do a little bit of him? Richard Sedgwick is the kind of man who believes that the entire organization of the colonists is a conspiratorial plot to keep us away from the promised land. <laughs> and I'm here to expose them for the elites that they are. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny. I mean, and, and hearing your, your actual natural speaking voice and your, your tone and your cadence, uh, I don't know if you do impressions. I could imagine you doing an excellent John Lithgow impression. Oh God, I, I have no idea. If I, I've never actually attempted doing that. 
Um, I'd, I'd have to hear his voice a lot more to be able to pull that off. But I did, there is one voice that I did get to do recently that was a lot of fun. Please do. Um, I, I got to play as these uh, this race of like bird aliens for uh, an audio drama called The Madness of Chartrullian. It hasn't been released yet, but I went with a, a Mark Hamill, um, Skeksy type of voice where I do hope that this arrangement can help us articulate some kind of peace accord, Outlander. <laughs> and of course, I did all the voices for the other uh, creatures of this race, such as the one who was dying of a lung disease. <laughs> Yeah, that that actually brings up another question. When you're creating like these character voices, are are you thinking of maybe like an actor, but you you're not doing the impression of the actor, but you're saying, well, what if? I, I mean, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Just say Al Pacino was being strangled or something like that. And they, oh, we gotta talk like that. And oh yeah, like there's there's a lot of times where I'll think of like impressions of actors and stuff. Like some one of my favorites that I got to do is I I love tapping into Tim Curry every once in a while. Um, cause I've, I've had him in my ear for a long time. Cause, uh, I was first introduced to him, not by, not by, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but of all things, the wild thornberries. Okay. Which his voice was up in this region. Hello, I'm Nigel Thornberry. Today we're going to be talking about the wonderful adventures of the zebra. <laughs> it's just a riot to listen to. But um, a lot of times what I'll end up doing for my voice acting is I'll actually practice in tabletop role-playing games. I love, I love running tabletop games because it's an opportunity for me to practice my writing. It's an opportunity to practice my voice acting and it's an opportunity to practice creating puzzles and, and handling uh, on the fly improv. Um, Cause uh, the nice thing about uh, what I'm playing as all these characters as a DM is that I am, I'm basically creating a story on the fly and presenting all of the characters in front of them and they react to all the characters that I'm playing as. For example, one, one or two opportunities, I might run into a fat cat that runs an airship repair facility. And he looks down at you and says, I do hope you don't find me too offensive. When I enjoy these biscuits shaped like anchovies, I happen to fill other customers with anamyastater. <laughs> or other times you, you want to have like a the, the conspiratorial uh, vizier where you must trust my judgment and I hope that you won't feel betrayed by me when I have this knife in your back. <laughs> Did you have a favorite cartoon character growing up that you like to imitate or? I mean, like, again, Nigel Thornberry's definitely up on that list for me, if only because he's got like one of those really recognizable voices. Regrettably, a lot of uh, iconic voices that I love, I can't do. Uh, mostly due to the fact that the the people who provide the voices, their natural speaking voice sounds like that. Like, for example, Richard Horvitz, who played as uh, uh, Daggett in the Angry Beavers, Invader Zim in Invader Zim, and most recently Moxie in a show that I'm working on, ha uh, Hell of a Boss. Uh, his voice is very, like, naturally, like, very high-pitched. 
So him shifting to like these other like cartoon characters is not hard for him, but it's not impossible for somebody like me where my voice vocal range is much lower on it. One that I really love doing is uh, I love the very, very deep and very uh, soft spoken kind of characters. Like uh, one in particular was uh, Xanatos from, uh, from Gargoyles, the Disney series, where his voice was usually much more of an eloquent kind of affair. And if you were really hoping to in, take an investment opportunity with this, I'm sure that we could come to some kind of arrangement. I don't think that you would find it to be any kind of unreasonable. But of course, business is a cutthroat in the operation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but if I, but uh, I actually had uh, played like a, a very deep-voiced um, villain-type character in a show that regrettably never got off the ground. But it has become one of my most recognized voices when I need to get into it. If you go for something intimidating, you have to make sure that you are quiet, eloquent, and make abundantly sure that they understand the full extent of your capabilities. But sometimes holding all the cards and not showing your hand can be advantageous as well. <laughs> this is a real treat for me, Kennedy. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm to put you to work so it. much. <laughs> no, honestly, this this isn't hard for me. It's it's a lot of fun to do. Like uh, something that uh, Mark Hamill used to do when he was playing as the Joker in Batman the Animated Series was he would be driving to and from work, and he would just practice voices. He would just come up with like kind of play around with what his voice would sound like. And oftentimes you end up finding really fun uh, alternate voices you've never heard before. Cause there's a lot of times where I'll hear like people on the street that sound like nothing I've ever heard. And I would want to mimic it in some way. Um, or I might, or I might hear something on like a YouTube video or something like one of my favorites that uh, I got to hear was uh, game grumps doing uh, this thing called Laura Schmidt. And it was, it's this, this running gag of this, uh, like HBO terrible, like this really terrible HBO sitcom about a single woman living in the city. And she's like, hello, my name's Laura. I live in the city, but I was hoping to get myself as a position in a great fashion industry, but not as a supermodel. As an intern. Wow, wow. <laughs> it's like one of those really awful kind of shows where just there's nothing interesting going on about this person. <laughs> but they throw like hundreds of thousands of dollars at it. <laughs> but making this kind of voice kind of sounds almost like the slug woman from Monsters Incorporated. Let's go, please. Always watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, since we know that you know your voice may end up in an audio drama or a podcast, I was curious as to what are some of the podcasts that you like to listen to. Oh well, one of uh, one of the ones that I really enjoy listening to is called uh, Oz Nine. Uh, Oz Nine is uh, you ever see Wally? Uh, no, but I know what you're talking about, though. So, like, uh, this, the story of Wally is about, like, the a robot that goes to find a, uh, a human spaceship after, like, the world had ended or whatever. Uh, Oz-9 is about the sh- that ship taking off and then failing as soon as it leaves orbit. 
And it's about a crew of incompetent people trying to make their way in managing this massive ship that had spared every expense. And it, it's, it's very silly and, and very fun. And I'm a good, I'm a good friend of the, uh, the director of the show. And she, she's just a, just a delight to listen to. Um, they've been doing, they've been doing really well, much better than my show, as a matter of fact, but it's absolutely worth giving it a watch. It's uh, Oz nine. That's O Z dash nine.com. Okay. Uh, you can watch that show. I mean, they're also available on whatever podcatcher you can find. And they are currently number 13 in Australia or so I'm told there is one, uh, there's one or two that I've, I've listened to. Uh, one is called the shadow remake where uh, John Winstead took the classic uh, audio, uh, radio drama, uh, those, those weekly shows that you would hear in the 1930s, and the most popular one at the time was The Shadow, which uh, is not around anymore, but... Uh, Who knows what Jonathan, evil lurks in the hearts of men, The Shadow knows. And- yeah, The Shadow knows. He, he actually uh, remade one of their more popular episodes with a full, full new cast, full sound design, and brought it to modern standards. And it is fantastic. I dropped something. It is fantastic. It's incredibly well, well done. And he's actually working on... Produ- he actually recently produced another show that was also really good uh, called Uncharted the Hidden Kingdom, which is a fan audio drama of the Uncharted series. In fact, one of my voice actresses, uh, Sandra Espinoza, uh, plays as Elena in that show. And it, it's really well done, very top-notch, high-quality sound design, uh, Foley, and voice acting as well. We have a portion of the show, and it's called Shameless Self-Promotion. Shameless Self-Promotion! And this is where you can let everybody know where they can follow your work and uh, get to keep up on some of the projects that you're on. Well, you could find me on Twitter and uh, and Instagram under Magus Serling. That's M A G U S S E R L I N G. But the big thing that I would really like to try and implore you to do, if you like my work, is I I really want to make this audio drama Clutch Cobalt Story. But in order to do that, I need to run a Kickstarter. Um, I initially had pitched this to the BBC, but after a couple of months of negotiation, we kind of figured we weren't really a right fit for each other, but I still want to produce this series. And in order to do that, I need to go to crowdfunding. So um, what I would like you to do is I would like you to go to tinyurl.com slash clutch cobalt. That's tinyurl.com slash C-L-U-T-C-H-K-O-B-O-L-D. If you go there, it'll bring you to a little splash screen that'll uh, tell you if you sign up with your email when we're going to release the Kickstarter for the show. Uh, we're going to be having a lot of promotional content on there. Uh, we'll be uh, trying to get physical backings. You'll be able to get a copy of the show. And you might have an opportunity to sign up and get drawn as a member of Clan Fine. You're a clan now. Let me sleep. Or Clan Fine for short. The clan that the Kobolds are from. Uh, by our wonderfully talented artist. Uh, once again, that's tinyurl.com slash clutch cobalt. You can also find us on Twitter at uh, uh, twitter.com slash clutch cobalts. And it's cobalts with a Z, not S at the end. Uh, so that's C-L-U-T-C-H-K-O-B-O-L-D-Z. Um, I would love to hear from you. And we also have a sample of Clutch of Cobalt story available uh, on the Twitter website. We have a link that can take you to it. 
Uh, and if you go to that splash thing that I just referenced you to, you can also listen to it there. It's about six minutes in length, but it is, it'll show you the kind of quality that we're looking for and the kind of thing that you can expect when we get a full version of the show going. And you also have a personal website for your, for your business as well, right? Yes. Uh, you can contact me at kennedyphillips.org. Uh, you can also find my work at megaselgar.com or uh, thesojournaudiodrama.com. Uh, if you want to inquire about uh, sound work, I work for very cheap and I have lots of uh, high concept designs that I can present to you. Say you want to make an animation or you have a short film that you want to work or feature length movie. I'm working on one of those right now. Or if you want to make your own audio drama, I am very good at being a showrunner for those. I've worked on four of them now. <laughs> His name is Kennedy Phillips. He's going to be a busy guy and uh we want to see some of these projects come to life. So if you want to follow where he's leading you, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to hear some of these more classic questions. Do you want to leave, leave us with a voice? We hope you enjoyed your adventure with Jim, the podcast Sherpa. May you find your entertainment as you scale the mountain and may you ignore the bodies that have been left behind by the unfortunate that didn't make it on the journey. <laughs> Kennedy Phillips, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We're on that internet thingy at SherpaLution.com. And now it's time for Sherpa Suggestions. Now, in addition to the work that Kennedy's been doing, which I strongly encourage you to check out, here are a few other audio drama podcasts that you might want to check out as well. We have the Moonlight Audio Theater, The Kingery, a sci-fi crime audio drama, Y2K Audio Drama, American Radio Theater, I know I'm going to say this wrong, Palimpsest, the Radio Drama Revival, The Fireside Mystery Theater, Greater Boston, The Mermaid and the Lion, and Tales of the Night Sky. Ooh, it's getting dark already. Ooh, sorry, got a little scared. But anyway, uh, check out these podcasts, and it'll be a little bit of a throwback to those radio days, I hope. You can't see me with my hand on my ear. Sorry about that. But they're there. Trust me. Look in podcasting. They're there. I know these things. A very special thanks to Kennedy Phillips for swinging on by. Make sure you check out his handiwork. You're really going to enjoy it. I had so much fun speaking with him and really looking forward to the projects that he's got coming out. And the links to his stuff, of course, are always on show notes. So be sure to visit those sites as well. And also, apologies for a little bit of the static during the interview. Uh, sometimes that happens when you're speaking remotely, unfortunately. And uh, I did what I could to clean it up. Some stuff you can't do away with, like Mr. Bruce slapping me upside the head. Oh, don't hit me, Mr. Bruce. Just, just show everybody the door. All right, folks, thank you for coming on by and hope to see you next week. In the following weeks, we will have three, count them three, consecutive episodes of the Sherpa Screening Room. Three folks that you're going to want to hear their interviews. Really interesting stuff. And from all walks of life, 
of course. So be sure to enjoy that for the next couple of weeks, and we will see you next time. And until then, you know what I'm going to say. Say it, folks. Oh, you don't know what I'm going to say? Viva la Sharpolution. Yeah, viva la Sharpolution. That's it. Bye, Rebels. Thanks for listening to Too Many Podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now. Viva la Chapelition. Viva la Chapelition. <laughs> oh. Yo, come back now, you hear?